right now is just a constant roller coaster, I feel like, anyway, with work yeah. and getting ready for the holidays. And it's the end of like a quarter for us. And yeah, and not the best quarter. No, not the best quarter. I was really hoping to knock last quarter out of the park because it's usually a really good time for me. I actually mm -hmm. really do usually really well in my last quarter. And there left there was something to be wanted in my last quarter. There were a lot of things to be wanted. Yeah. I really wanted to have the same conversation fewer times with fewer people about what the market is going to do. Like I have a crystal ball. Yes. And can control everything because, you know, yes, I, I, I pay attention and I try to know everything that is going on that could affect people. But, man, I don't think anybody even at the top knows what they're doing anymore. No, I just I think that it's all I mean, I think I think what's so hard is what people I think the market has been skewed in a way that people think what people think are valuable is not as valuable as what the public sees it as. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we talked a little bit about that in like the luxury world, but I just think in the everyday world, it's just, and I get it. A lot of the things I do understand why you did what you did and that you love it mm -hmm. and that's great, but it's just, it's not going to bring any value. Like the fact that you added on a, you know, a 30 by 30 craft room that might not work as any sort of space for somebody else. No. And I think the problem too, is that people who can afford to be are getting much more shark-like mm -hmm. in the way they are approaching a buy now. Yeah. Because they've heard that, you know, housing market has busted, which is so overdramatic. Like, come on CNBC, like it has not busted. Yeah. You know, yes, it's different, but it's more stable. But like, if you look at the statistics, so like I'm not a statistics person, right? But yeah. Like we're at like a 7% interest rate right now. Mm -hmm. But if you look at like 2014, we were also at a 7% interest rate, mm -hmm. but no one made a big fuss about it then. And so no. I think there's that. And yeah. when you look at when we were at 2 and 3% interest rates, it always followed a catastrophic event. Mm -hmm. So do we want to live in like repeated times of catastrophic events? Do we want to live in the Great Depression? Do we want to live in World War II again? Do we want right. to live in COVID for the rest of our lives? Like I think the general consensus would be no. No, but I think to a whole lot of people right now feels like the catastrophic event. Yeah. You know, right now with inflation and they can't, buy groceries, they can't do anything, and now they can't afford a place to live, that is the, the catastrophe. But and I think so, the difference is, is that's the downfall. Like, that yeah. happens after the, that always happened after the catastrophic event. I mean, look at the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Like, we were rationed on days to go get, like, milk, groceries, grass. Right. I mean, those are the pieces that people kind of, like, don't think about and kind well, of forget. perception is reality. And 100%. when... You know, you perceived yourself to be doing really well for the last, you know, six years. And now all of a sudden you can't buy what you're used to buying. Your electric bill is through the roof mm -hmm. and now your rent is going up a thousand a month or, you know, whatever. I get it. I mean, I totally do get it. And I wish that it felt like we could really give reasonably good news 
Because as much as we are trying to tell people that the market is really stabilizing, it's not crashing, which it is not crashing. We're coming into balance to where now sellers, you just can't ask an astronomical amount. And you've and got competition. Is, and negotiation is key. Yeah, we're getting back to some concessions and some reasonable numbers. But trying to explain that without one side thinking, okay, now I can be opportunistic mm-hmm. because I have the money and so now I can drive somebody's price down or the seller not seeing it as a total crash. Mm-hmm. It's like such a hard balance to find. And then, of course, you're the bearer of bad news on either side when you're like, you know, no, you can't go that low yeah. or you shouldn't go that low. Right. You know, but you also can't ask that much. Yeah. Like you're going to have to come down and you're going to have to prepare for concessions and that title policy you didn't want to have to pay. You're probably going to. Yeah. You know, I mean, like. Yeah. I don't know. It's just such a weird time to be a broker and trying to reassure people and also trying to encourage them to make smart moves because right now you're hearing everybody and their mom marry the house by the rate or date the rate. Yeah, date the rate. And you're just like, why don't you just get into what you know you can afford? Yeah. And so we don't have another 2008 situation where Mm -hmm. everybody thought they were going to refinance that arm. And then they couldn't. Right. And it's another major, major issue. And right now, I think the statistics are up that, like, the majority of the population doesn't even contribute to their savings anymore. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen when you're now in a house that you were just on the edge of affording? Now you've lost a job or there's a medical issue or something. You now don't have any savings. Mm -hmm. You're in over your head on a house that is now not maybe worth as much as it was Mm -hmm. and you foreclose well and i mean i mean it's i see it time and time again in my territory where people are liquidating their bank accounts just to get that cash to close number and i'm like Mm -hmm. and then they're like oh but it's okay because you know i don't have a mortgage payment that next month and then you know and i get a paycheck the friday after closing and i'm like yeah that's scary to me like that would not be something that i And not that I'm like super cash fluid. I'm not like a millionaire by any means. But when we've bought a house, Mm -hmm. yes, we're contingent. And we usually need the funds from our current house to purchase our next house. But the idea is, is that we still have some money for like moving expenses and and just general stuff that you're Mm going to need. Because if you think about it, when someone looks at a house, unless it's new construction, and then you don't always know what you're getting, especially when you're building custom. But if you're buying resale, you're showing in that house the is best. On, yeah, it is mm-hmm. on average, you are in that house for approximately maybe 15, 20 minutes. Right. Even in a big house, I've shown, you know, 4,000, 5,000 square foot homes where they are seasoned buyers. So they're in and out of that house in 30 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. And you're not seeing all the deficiencies. So when you move in, it's, oh, that paint color is not what I thought it was, or they only paint, painted halfway up the trim. And it's so it's not the big things that you found out in inspection. It's the cosmetic things that people are not putting into mm-hmm. play. You know, they're not Well, and sometimes it to. is the big things. Sure. When that AC goes out, you know, two weeks after closing and you didn't bother to get a home warranty or the home warranty won't cover it. Right. Because they love doing that too. That's mm-hmm. super fun. Um you have no more money yeah. to put in. 
Yeah. So. And who's the first call? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, I am to the point, I would rather walk away from business that I know has a very good chance of going badly down the road with foreclosure or, you know, whatever. I will walk away rather than handle that transaction. Yeah. Because I just feel like we're seeing some of the same patterns repeat that got us into trouble before. Mm -hmm. And like nobody's acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. It isn't it isn't a rate issue necessarily. It's it's not an approval issue where they're just pushing approvals through. No, it's not no. that. It's it's the consumer. Yeah. It's the consumer. It's not the banks. It's not the Fed with the rates. It's the consumer not mm -hmm. being money smart. Right. And you know, you look at all these people getting into even on the two one buy down, which I think is a great mm -hmm. product for some people. What happens if it's somebody that worked for Twitter or worked for Meta who now just announced mass layoffs? So now how are you going to qualify to refi? Even if that rate gets better, even if it drops, you just lost your job. You just mm -hmm. lost your income. Can you even afford the house at the rate you're in? Like you haven't saved money. Mm -hmm. You haven't done all of these things. Like it just, I don't know. It it scares me to see what people are doing right now. Yeah. And what agents are advocating yeah, sometimes. Say what the information is going out right. from us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that I, you know, we all want to blame the media and being mm -hmm. like the, uh, being the people that, you know, scare people into things. But I think not explaining a full picture to people mm -hmm. is bad. And I think the media is not paying attention when they're bringing on, say they bring on a real estate expert, they're not looking at that person and their business. They're just mm -hmm. like, oh, who's the first agent that's going to say yes? 99% of the time, most agents are going to just say yes because their name gets put in the mm -hmm. news. But the difference with me is is I would be a lot more leery, you know, about being on the news talking about the economy and talking about the housing market and having myself quoted in a, in a news – Right. In a newsworthy way because – I'm not an economist. I am not that person. Do I listen to a lot of economists? Do I really try and pay mm -hmm. attention to the housing market locally and what's paying, what's going on and, you know, any sort of tax increases that might be on the table for areas? A hundred percent. But am I sitting down and like statistically breaking no. that down? No. No. So I am not, I am not the crystal ball. I am not the predictor of the market. I can tell you the current matters. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you where we're going to be in three months, six months, five years. I can't tell you that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to be that person that's put and quoted. Right. Um, and so therefore, I feel like they get a lot of newer agents to go on and they haven't been in the market and they're saying, oh, it's a really, it's still a good time to buy and a good time to sell. But, you know, there's a lot of agents that came in during COVID when the market was so good. And it was like, Mm -hmm. But but you were one of those. So how are you going to work for the person now and not be the money hungry agent that we are trying so hard mm -hmm. to change that right. that stereotype about us? Because right now is, you know, where you do see a lot of that bloodthirsty, hungry, you know, vampire agent as mm -hmm. opposed to the agent that knows the market, cares about your deal and is doing trying to help you get the best situation possible. Right. And I think that 
a lot of times, and I don't know how it is where you are, but I see the experts go on the news or get quoted in the newspaper. And they're very often the Instagram agents that that just do a lot of social media, but don't really produce. But they're kind of known on social. So, you know, oftentimes it's not somebody that really has a lot of credibility in the market. Mm -hmm. But of course, a newscaster doesn't really care about that. It's just a name or whatever. But I think that it's going to be really important for agents. If you want to stay credible, you're going to have to learn to argue against your own self-interest. Oh, yeah. And just tell people sometimes like now is not the time. Like I went to a listing appointment last week and it was the people that live right behind me and they are thinking about moving to Washington, D.C., but they're very flexible on their timing. And I just told them, you don't want to list right now. Like you don't. We've got four other houses in our neighborhood that have been sitting and it's just not a good time. You're about to decorate your whole house for Christmas, which is problematic at times too. So if you have the flexibility to wait, I would wait it out Mm -hmm. and just kind of see what happens. They're talking like rates might come down first quarter. Will it be huge? Probably not, Mm -hmm. but it'll be something, you know, and I think that after election, good or bad, I think consumer confidence may be impacted, which will shift the market even further one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right now is a hard time for me to convince anybody to sell. Yeah. It's just unless you are motivated by time, like you're having to make a move right now, if your motivation is money, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And I think for some people, it's just um, like I talked to somebody yesterday who was talking about potentially selling and they either they have a couple of options. They're going to sell mm-hmm. their back acreage to a neighbor because it touches. So but there's no other way to get to it. So it's landlocked. So they could do that mm-hmm. um, and retain what they have, or they have the opportunity to sell the whole thing, um, which has a grandfathered Airbnb in it, which is great because in mm-hmm. Waco, um, you have to be owner occupied to have an Airbnb. They've really locked down. on Really? The, yeah. They've. Wow. That's good, though. It is and it isn't. Um, I think because we at this at all at once because of Waco's tourism, they built like three or four major hotels. And so the drive is to get people to be in hotels for Mm -hmm. the city tax for that. Um, And I would rather stay in an Airbnb, especially with kids, than stay in a hotel. But uh, but you have to be owner occupied. Mm -hmm. Um, So and some people aren't don't love that. Yeah, so, you see, know, and I wouldn't love that. And I don't yeah, wanna... I don't know that I would yeah. love that myself. I would be uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's separate. It has its own entrance and exit and all those things. But it would be uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, she's she asked, you know, is it a good time to sell? And is this going to bring me more value? And I said only to an investor that is looking for an Airbnb. And I'm not talking an investor like someone that's just going to be cash and you know, will buy it because they can't use the entire property. It has to be Mm owner-occupied. So it has to be an owner that wants that extra space as an Airbnb space. And if they don't, is it a second master? Or who's like multi-generational living and needs that second kind of living space for a mother-in-law suite or, you know, something along those lines. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could go with that for sure. But, I mean... 
Well, and I told her, I I kind of asked, I said, I, you know, I said, I'm not trying to not answer your question, but I'm trying to throw it back on you. Mm -hmm. Like, where are you going to go? What is your hope? Are you hoping to get another four acres with a house? Um, Because right now we're slim on that for one. And for two, for potentially what you could sell for and what you'd be buying for, Mm -hmm. buying is still high. So, you know, where are we on the spectrum there? Because if you were expecting to sell for $500,000, but you want to buy a $700,000 house, but I can only list your house for Mm $300,000. You know, we're going to be in a, we're going to be in a hard place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just tell people it's a good time to sell if it's the right time for you. Like, right. I, I can't make that determination, you know, Four months ago when we were in the height of the seller market, I'd be like, yeah, right now is a good time to sell. Mm-hmm. But everybody knew that. But it still also depended on where they were going to go. Yes. And that's the thing is I think that making any kind of blanket statement right now is a dangerous thing to do. Like yes. now's a great time to buy or, oh, you should definitely be making a move during the winter because there's, you know, less competition for buyers and blah, blah, blah. Like we really need to get back to personalizing our business for yeah. each client. Yes. Because everything will boil down to what their motivation is. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes that's not a, you know, quick text conversation to really vet out what is motivating them to make that move. It may be they need to get closer to their kids or whatever. Or they mm-hmm. may be motivated by time or money or, you know, whatever it is. And And that's the thing is everybody asks me, is now a time to sell or now a time to buy? Maybe. Yeah. Depends on you. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish and why you're trying to accomplish it. If it's an emotional need that you just need out of this house, then yeah, I mean, we can, we can do it. Yeah. But it's not that But tell me more about you. Like, let me dig into you. Like, this is the personal touch to the business that often was lost and I think it was important to, it's always mm-hmm. important to have your business side and to have your business mindset for uh, for ourselves. But what agents lacked was being able to make it personal. And mm-hmm. I, we talked about this in another episode, like we've always tried to make our business to a point, a personal thing. Like we try and personalize right. our listings, personalize what we're working with them towards. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's a partnership that we're trying to, you know, the end goal is the same. And I don't know that all agents Mm-mm. are going to know how to do that and what marketing tools and things to utilize, mm-hmm. especially because I feel like during COVID, there was hundreds of thousands of other marketing tools and other programs that came out and you would just see them on sponsored ads and mm-hmm. agents, it was clickbait. Like agents did it all day long because you know we had the extra funds to do it because people were buying things $50,000 over ask. Now you're getting constant calls like, hey, Mm -hmm. do this. Hey, do this. Hey, do this. Hey, let me run your ads. Hey, let me do this for you. Mm -hmm. And that you lose that sense of personalization, that outreach to the public. And Mm -hmm. I think now more than ever, agents need to figure out is how am I going to make myself relevant? Yeah. And not in a, I'm on social media, so I'm relevant. I have $20 $20 million in sales, so I'm relevant. Mm-hmm. How are you relevant? Well, relevant to that person. Yeah. So like even if it's your standard operating procedure to do your listings X, Y, and Z, this is just how they flow every single time, it still needs to feel personal to that person. Mm-hmm. It needs to feel like 
this is how you do it for them, not mm-hmm. just for everybody. Yeah. And if that part is missing, then they're not going to like trust you throughout the transaction right. unless they are that very um, kind of analytical business side who just, you know, oftentimes you see it with the big, big teams where they hire the rainmaker and then they never yep. see that person again. And it's just the team that handles everything, which is fine. I mean, it's a different model of business for sure. But I think that that's the thing now, especially in a time where people are kind of unsure economically, they don't know what the future looks like. They need that personal touch to like say, okay, I've got you. Like, this is what I do every day. This is what I'm a professional at. And I've got you. Like, this is what we will do for you, for your situation. Not like this is just, you know, you're just kind of a a cog in a factory and, you know, we just do this all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think it feels different for buyers versus sellers, right? So Mm -hmm. like I have a buyer that I have been under contract with since August and you know about this deal. Mm -hmm. The boundary line is where it is and the house and what was the intention. There was a lot that was split between two neighbors and it's now 24 feet over the boundary line. So we are trying to deal with neighbor next door. Neighbor next door will not return any, um, will not speak to us, has said we'll hire an attorney if we call them. We are only allowed to call his spokesperson, which um, is the another person mm-hmm. who was the seller of that lot and does not have any connection to our current deal that we can come up with. The, he's not the lien holder. The lien holder is an LLC. It's like an owner finance wholesale oh, investor yeah. situation. And he's not tied to the LLC? According to Secretary of State, he is not. We don't have, he's not the authorized agent. We don't understand where this player came in the game. And this player has been able to make all the shots because it's the only way that we have found to make the deal go through. So we have been forced to change title companies. Like it has just been it's been a never living shit show. Mm-hmm. And so my buyers, because the interest rates have gone up so much, are now ineligible to buy anything else. So they're hanging on. Mm-hmm. And what we have tried to come up with at this point is it was submitted as TBD. That land was TBD unsurveyed. So there is no legal description we found out that the surveyor had found the original pins but did not honor it because technically that lot next door had a TBD and did not have a valid legal. So we couldn't honor it. So we're trying to go to the city and trying to figure out, like, how can we get around this since that's not – that doesn't have a valid legal. We need a valid legal. Mm-hmm. We have found pins – but, I mean, this has been, like, months and months of multiple title companies. At this point, we're on title company number three fighting for this and trying to figure this out, sitting on the phone with the city. And these are all the things that is personalized to that buyer that people don't necessarily realize that, like, we're doing on the back end. Like, we are fighting for them on the back end. And – there's a lot of agents I would just throw their hands up in the air oh, and be like, oh, I would terminate. say like 75% would have yeah, given up and walked out. off and been like, okay, well, we're just going to have to yeah. suck it up, find you a different deal at a higher rate. Like yeah. or, you're going to get you know, less of a house. Or, like yeah. or most we'll just 
we'll just uh, we'll wait till your rates better. Yeah, and you know, we'll... or like, hey, you need to hire somebody and figure it out on your own, and then just call me so I can collect my commission. Yeah. Like when it all works itself out. Yeah, like most most agents I know would have, yeah, thrown their hands up and been it's... like, okay, deuces, I'm out. You yeah, know, and it's I'm, just and I mean, the listing agent has been outstanding. She's on the phone with other title mm-hmm. companies. We've been on the phone with the city. I'm on the phone with title companies. I mean, her and I are talking like the second we have a conversation, we immediately forward it. And I mean, I wish that is how most deals went when something gets hard because mm-hmm. it's not that it's not the listing agent's responsibility because the house is uninsurable right. title wise. So it is her responsibility. But there's a lot of listing agents be like, buyer figured it out. Mm-hmm. Buyer wants the house, buyer figure it out. Yeah. And it's just as equally that listing agent's problem because they've put something on the market that is unsellable it's sellable but it's uninsurable and it's only sellable to someone cash and doesn't care about Mm -hmm. a boundary line issue yeah but i mean most cash buyers are fairly savvy correct so to think that you're going to find a cash buyer is going to be like "Eh, i don't really care if i know what land i have or not yeah you know like yeah most cash buyers want to know that they have something that they can turn into a cash sale if they need to so i don't see that happening at all it's just kind of a you know it's kind of a nightmare because we've got this player in the game that we are trying to tiptoe around at this point because i know the second he gets wind of what's going on he'll be all over that like flies to shit and it will (laughs) be in i'm like and we have told the title company that we're talking the two title companies that we're working with that is not his title company is like when this happens we need to move not a little bit fast like Mm -hmm. Research needs to be done. It all needs to be, and like literally the next day, closing needs to happen. Like, because the second he gets wind of it happening, because he was supposed to get a monetary gain, even though he's not a player in the game. He said the only way he would help us if the seller paid him $10,000 for 24 feet in a very small rural town. I'm so happy that that in our area, we don't have a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. Like, at least where I do most of my business, it's all fairly platted, easy to deal with. Like, I... It's a whole nother ball of wax, especially when it's like, you know, Uncle Bob Mm -hmm. sold it to his cousin who passed it on, and then he had five heirs, and they died, and it's, it's definitely difficult. I've had more things end up in court and I'm mm-hmm. just sitting duck yeah. because it's in court and it has well, to Well, and that's through. the thing that I don't think agents realize when they get their license. They're like, oh, I'm going to go sell farm and ranch because those are, you know, higher value properties. Commission will be bigger. You know, I'll just go do that. The issues that come with farm and ranch, it really is its own animal. It's a beast. And, and yeah, really, and not a really friendly. To, no, yeah. and you really have to know what you're doing. Well, and it's a lot more of like a click mm-hmm. mentality yes. with farm and ranch agents. Oh, like yeah. they really don't love particularly to see somebody who does single family residential or condos or anything like that come into their space. No. And I completely understand why. Is because they come in and they muck it all up mm-hmm. and don't know what they're doing. So it makes their job harder. Yeah. You know, like I get that. Well, in true farm and ranch, between true farm and ranch and recreational, like recreational mm-hmm. property is a different, uh, you can sell big acreage mm-hmm. with a good house and it'd be recreational. True farm and ranch with cattle operations or horse operations 
or any type of livestock operation in I general. Mean, just agricultural. Yeah. yeah. Cropping. I mean, what kind of soil does it have? What's their turnover rate? What's their income? What is leased? Is it written? Where's nor- the water? Where's the water? Is there yeah. wells? Is there an ability to get a well? And the boundary lines, often those mm-hmm. are family properties. And so it was Joe Smith from, you know, 1900s that by, it's, it'll start off by my foot mm-hmm. at the oak tree. Is that oak tree still in existence? <laughs> I don't oh, know. Oh, no, we ripped that one up to increase our yeah, space for it the had, it had, pasture. Yeah, it had oak wilt, so we took it out. Yeah. Great. Now where, and it's just, you know, you don't find that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. So those types of things, that's a whole nother ball of wax. And, you know, it's just a very different mindset. And I get it. Um, I think it's hard because I also feel like the agents that want to get into farm and ranch barely have a choice, like don't even have a chance to get in. Mm-hmm. And I think that it swing, it's the pendulum, right? Like it swings both ways. Somewhere there needs to be a middle ground where like agents, it's almost like you need to have an apprenticeship in farm and ranch. Well, and I do think that that should be a thing. Yeah. Like if you, I mean, but it, it goes with all of the specialized areas, like commercial. Yeah. Commercial is a totally different beast. Yeah. Um, you know, high-rise condos, mm-hmm. totally different deal. Even vacation properties, I feel like, operate on a different structure. Mm-hmm. Like, there should be some sort of, and I know there's certifications and designations and all of, all of that. But I really think that it should be like a state requirement that if that's what you're going to get into, you have to prove that you yeah. have the competency. Well, and it's like to get like your CCIM and to mm-hmm. get your land specialist, like those are hard designations to get. They are mm-hmm. not easy. Right. So why are mo- more, there should be more of those. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, having a luxury designation is... I wouldn't say is very hard to get. No, you, you sit take, through a class. You for sit through some classes, eight hours. Yeah, max. you turn in some sales. Yeah, and that's the sales part is the hard part of getting those designations part. and proving that you do the thing. But you know, getting taking the class to do to get the designation that's supposed to help you get the sales seems kind of difficult when. To get the designation, you have to already have the sales. So right. do I really need the class if I've already proven that I can do the thing? Right. <laughs> you know, it's right. like the most ridiculous thing in some ways. But I think that there just needs to be an expansion on and we and I, you know, I think a lot of agents that have been in it and especially brokers, it's like there should be some sort of like, you know, not just take your class and there you go. Like you're mm-hmm. in it to win it. I think yeah, that be free. Sh- yeah, like, you're gonna make millions. Like, yeah. there should be some sort of apprenticeship for you know one to four, com- and definitely commercial, definitely farm and ranch, and any sort of like luxury, just like there is for like appraisers. I mean, they have well. To do- I think the problem is that you'd have so many people um, going towards like luxury and farm and ranch, just thinking, oh, that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. That they would kind of neglect getting the overall one to four. Right. If you could instantly specialize, you know what I mean? And they're, you know, I mean, fact of the matter is Texas, as big as it is in this part of Texas is running out of large farm and ranch Mm -hmm. and things like that. So eventually you're going to have to know that one to four also because they're building houses as fast as they can find the land to do so. And those developers aren't buying on a normal farm and ranch. No. And there's a bunch of um, 
there's a bunch of commercial guys that I know that like when they first got into commercial, they did still maintained mm-hmm. some residential at some level because that was what paid the bills. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they might have one closing and it might be an income of, you know, $40,000, mm-hmm. which is a great, you know, which is a great yeah. deal. But at the same time, it took an entire year to get there and they took an entire year of no pay because it took I them that year. could never be just a commercial only it, agent. It would be very, it would be very different. Like it was very mm-hmm. different in DC when it was commercial versus doing commercial here, but it's faster paced there. Mm-hmm. There's more turnover. Well, here it's so much about feasibility periods and, right. you know, all of that. That I mean, if your feasibility period is six months. Yeah. And then your buyer or whatever can just like, eh, I'm out. Yeah. So you've just been like on the hook and no doubt if you're a great agent working behind the scenes on setting up all of these studies and doing performance. You know, yeah, exactly. You've really put yourself through the paces and now you're like, okay, well, they decided not to do it and yeah. you don't get anything. Yeah. Like or if zero dollars. Well, and even after the feasibility period, mm-hmm. because often for certain deals, they won't do the phase one study mm-hmm. until after feasibility, mm-hmm. some banks. And so when you're looking at that and they then they get to that and they say, oh, it failed phase one, you're like, Fantastic. You're like fantastic. Yeah. I'm. We uh, just won't eat. Yeah. This, this winter, we're just yeah. we're just gonna forego we're going back food. To hunt, we're going back to hunter gatherer. Yes. Get your baskets. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some berries on the tree outside. Yeah. We're gonna go with those Hopefully and hope we don't poisonous. die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully they're not poisonous. So. Hope y'all like ramen noodles because yeah. that's what that's what we're getting. Yeah. So I mean, and they're commercial guys that are are outstanding and mm-hmm. they do a great job and all those things. But it is it is a hurry up and wait kind of thing um and you know it's why they're not like us where it's like mm-hmm. oh our phone's ringing we have to go pick it up because it's like phone's ringing they'll pick it up and they'll return your call when they can because they know that or when they want to yeah because when we ask questions we know that they know that there's like a one percent chance that we're actually that actually mm-hmm. is going to go through and so like they have no the urgency is not mm-hmm. the same whereas if someone calls us about one of our listings we're surely going to call them back within 24 to 48 hours and if we can't we're mm-hmm. going to find somebody who will Right. So um, that's there is a definite difference in the sense of urgency for that. Well, and commercials just like farm and ranch in that kind of clickish mentality also. Mm-hmm. Like they like to run with their pack. They don't love residential mm-hmm. agents coming in and kind of screwing it up. And, yeah. you know, the other thing that is that they don't list like we do Mm-mm. in MLSs. And, you know, most of them are not members of NAR and all of that. So you've got to go to a totally different location. Mm-hmm. So half the time, I'm sure it's a residential agent calling off of a sign. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, can you send me all the information because I don't have a CoStar account and can't get in? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, it is. So, but it's also a pain in the ass when a commercial agent calls me on a residential that they're doing for a friend of a friend. And, oh, by the way, I don't have MLS access. And, oh, by the way, I can't get into the lockbox. And I can't, you know, mm-hmm. can you do this for me? And yeah. But I'll still be there to get a check. Yeah. Well, or, when you know, they, it's. Yeah, when they call and you're like, it's in MLS. And they're like, oh, I'm never in MLS. I'm not mm-hmm. even sure how to log in. You're like. That would be my husband. <laughs> that would be my husband. He, uh. He's really great at that. He's like, oh, I already talked to the listing agent. I'm like, why didn't you just look it up in the MLS? 
Well, it was just easier for me to call. Like, you are the agent that other agents despise. Yeah. Like, thank God you're friendly and most people love you because otherwise they would hate you. (laughs) Yeah. Like. It's so, it's so interesting. And especially I love when agents are like, uh, the documents are in MLS. I'm like, there's no documents Mm -mm. there. Yeah. You forgot to load them. Yeah. They, in the documents in your mind are there. But they're not on MLS. And then they swear that they are. And then they're like, fine, I'll just email them. And then you look at the date on the DocuSign on like the seller's disclosure. And it was like 30 minutes before they sent it to you. Yeah. So, you know, they weren't in yeah. the MLS that they when just you, got done. Or when you ask a question about something on the seller's disclosure, like for more information. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, it's on the seller's disclosure. Yeah, yes. that was a checkbox. I, I'm going to need yeah. a little bit more information about the yeah. flood yeah. that you collected money yeah. on. And like, that you didn't repair. Like, did you repair? Was right. there a remedy? Yeah. Like, what was done? Do they have receipts? Mm-hmm. Any of those? It's like, it's almost like inconvenient for you to ask them anything other than what's presented. And I'm like, that's just due diligence. Like, mm-hmm. as a listing agent, those that due diligence is necessary. Well, And you're going to deal with the same situation on the front end or the back end, right? Mm -hmm. So do you really want it going off market in MLS and then all the inspections taking place and then having to put it back on the market because they found mold in the walls from that stuff that you didn't bother to explain in the disclosure? And then you have to deal with the perception from future buyers like, hey, there's something wrong with the house. It's been in and out of escrow three times instead of just like, if you need to write a novel, write a novel. I don't care. Just give me all the information on the front end Mm -hmm. so that I don't waste my buyer's time. I don't waste your time. We don't impact your sale in the future. Like if it's a deal breaker for my clients, which sometimes, you know, little things can be. I have Mm -hmm. a client that had a horrible issue with mold in a house one time. So if anything even looks like a water intrusion issue, won't even look at the house. Yeah. Save us some time. Yeah. It's going to be found. Yeah. You know, so and then when it's found on the back end after closing and then there's a lawsuit, it's even worse. Yeah. It's an ugly it's an ugly thing. uh, Yeah. We had one come through and um, she it was like a one point nine million dollar house in Austin. And the first time it rained after this single lady bought the house, water like poured in all the front windows. And she. Nothing was on the seller's disclosure at all related to it. Didn't come up in a um, clue report. But then she was talking to the neighbor and she's like, yeah, we had major leaking. Yeah, I thought they had that fixed. They had scaffolding and all these people doing construction on that for a long time since it flooded there before. None of it was on the disclosures. So like they ended up going into lawsuit over it. But I mean, just... Just don't lie. Don't Take like the don't, easy button. And yeah, it may be painful, but at least it's not lawsuit painful. Well, and it's like, you know, there was a there is a house in my territory that was known to have an attic fire and they put it up for sale by owner and they did not disclose that. And because it happened before them. No, it happened while they were there. Oh. It happened while they were there. And they felt that they did not have to do disclosures because it was for sale by owner. And when I did not talk to them, but, um, you know, I was guiding one of my agents because one of my agents was trying to get the listing. 
I said, um, you might want to tell them that it is state law for them to disclose. Property code. And they are required to do that by law. Um, And they could be sued if they don't, uh, first of all. Second of all, um, if that were to be found out, it would be atrocious for them. And thirdly, they would be held to the same standard as a real estate agent if they are brought to court, which is vastly heavier Mm -hmm. than as just an owner. Like, Mm -hmm. you are held to our standard in court. So if you don't follow the rules, you could be more hurt. Mm -hmm. So I tell people that, and I'm not saying it to scare sellers into listing with an agent. I'm telling them because I'm telling them to be honest. Mm -hmm. You want to sell by yourself? Sell by yourself. But be honest and have that disclosure. Have a disclosure ready and available to you. Yeah, I'll give you the form. Yeah. Like I will send it to you, but please let me know what my buyers right. are looking at right. when they're looking at this house. Right. I mean, we have, you know, multiple rivers in New Braunfels. So of course there's always properties that have flooded in the mm-hmm. past. And so that's one thing that we see sometimes and they're like, oh, well, it hasn't flooded since X, Y, and Z. So I didn't put it on there. Well, you still got to put it on there. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand it hasn't happened in a while, but we still just need to know. If the buyer still chooses to buy it, that's great. Obviously, if they're looking for a waterfront property on a river, they know that there's a great chance that it's going to flood. Yeah. But the second you don't disclose it, it just gives them leverage when even though they knew it was likely to flood, when it does, they're always going to look for somebody else to blame. Mm -hmm. Always. It's just human nature and they're going to come after you. Yeah. So if you can show that you put everything possible on there, they don't have that ammunition anymore. Yeah. You know, they can just be mad at themselves for buying a house that they knew had issues. Yeah. And it's just, you know, when a property is in a flood zone, I think it's any agents or any good agent would ask a lot, ask questions. Mm -hmm. So when I have a property that I'm listing that's in the flood zone, first of all, regardless of the fact that buyer due diligence is to check for that. I always put it in the private remarks for the agent to make them aware mm-hmm. that it is in that way. And then there's a form for that. There yes, is the, we there have is, disclosures. We have that. disclosures for flood zones. And even though it does not maybe touch the structure, there's a, there's, it triggers me to ask another question. Do you have an elevation certificate, mm-hmm. which is important part of the survey, which is not a super expensive add-on for a surveyor to do. Firstly. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the other thing I will ask them is, do you carry flood insurance? And often I get agents that are like, well, the structure's not in it, so they don't carry it. That was not the question I asked because mm-hmm. it is not up to the seller if mm-hmm. it carries flood insurance. It is up to the, the lien lender. holder. So if the lien holder says, I don't like how close that is to the property, mm-hmm. they can require you because FEMA can come in and change flood map whenever they want to. So it is not it is a risk factor for the lender, mm-hmm. not for the owner necessarily. Well, it can be for the owner because I mean I had one that was in Seguin and they bought and they insisted on buying this house that was in the flood zone. We got the elevation certificate, their lender was fine with it, everything. Then their insurance mm-hmm. the next year after that initial year jacked their rate up over a thousand a month. Their insurance was higher per month than their mortgage. Mm-hmm. 
And they're like, we can't afford it, but at this point we can't sell it because FEMA was the only provider of insurance at that point. Like they couldn't find private insurance. Mm -hmm. So it can be a bigger issue all the way around. I mean, if it's in the flood zone, they need to talk to their insurance agent. They need Mm -hmm. to talk to a myriad of people. So the agent should be asking those questions. But then as a buyer's agent, seller's agent should not be offended when I ask those questions when there's nothing written mm -hmm. about it. And, you know, and the candid response is, well, the structure's not in it. Great. I understand the structure is not in it. That's not the question I asked you. Mm-hmm. And so it's a whole, you know, it's it's power and knowledge. But, you know, I think that sellers need to be aware that they should be checking into these things because there's a lot of people that want to go ahead and assume VA loans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a whole list checklist. You have to mm-hmm. be able to qualify right. for that VA, blah, blah, blah. But if the property got, if the seller is a VA loan and you're looking to assume it, and FEMA moved that property in or close to a flood zone, you need to be asking because any government back loan mm-hmm. has to use FEMA money for their insurance, and that's like three times more expensive than mm-hmm. private insurance. So, and that's sometimes not what you find out in the beginning of the process. No, you find that out like right before closing. Right. Like, surprise, you can't afford your monthly payment anymore. Yeah. And (laughs) it's just, and so I think there's a lot of things that, you know, should just be the disclosure thing is such Mm -hmm. a, such a thing to me that I'm just, I don't understand why people don't disclose. Like, what is the fear there? Mm -hmm. My fear would be getting sued. Not my house is unsellable because, you know, especially if you've remedied the situation or if you know that something leaks but you've priced it because what we should be doing is pricing the homes in their current condition. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not anything else. So we right. are as a good agent, you average in, okay, well we know the roof is leaking, we know the roof needs replacement. So we really need to factor that in on right. our pricing. And so when someone comes in and lowballs say actually this with a new roof or a good roof, it probably would have gone on market for this, but we already averaged mm-hmm. that into our price. But so. I honestly feel like the shift in this market is going to kind of worsen this problem a little bit because sellers are seeing more competition now. Mm-hmm. And agents, I think, because there are fewer deals, are going to be kind of that hungrier agent not willing to ask the questions and risk busting the deal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. some of these younger agents or even just agents who, you know, have seen their business dramatically change and maybe they were over leveraged before and can't stand the idea of letting that one go. Um, Some of them I can see looking the other way when they know they should be asking the questions. Right. But they don't want to see the deal bust. You know what I mean? And that's horrible. But I I can see that happening. Like, oh, I know I should be protecting you, but I'm really protecting my pocketbook. Yeah. Which is the whole reason that our industry is a shit show and people think that we're kind of like, used car salesmen sometimes and just making way too much money for doing nothing because a lot of agents are making too much money and not doing their job. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think part of it also comes into brokerages as a whole, like Mm -hmm. as brokers. And we, we live in a smaller world of the brokerages. Like we choose that. And I think that's a safer place to be right now. And I think this is where we can excel as boutique brokerages. 
But I think some of the big box brokerages Mm -hmm. see themselves in a situation where it's like their heavy hitters are not producing what they are. So they're just, they're grabbing agents. Mm -hmm. They're looking at that high value data set. monthly fee. They're looking at that high value data set and they're like, okay, I'm going to call every single one of these people taking their tests. I'm going to make sure they get on board. I'm going to, I'm going to show them all the fancy because for them, then it's just numbers. Mm -hmm. They just need, they need army. They need people. And they're not educating. They don't have the support. They don't have mm-hmm. the person. And there are other brokerages that set up like mentor programs and stuff like that. But when your mentors are not producers, your mentors don't have a track record. Your mentors are people mm-hmm. that you just liked personally. So you're putting them into that role. Right. You're not actually helping your young agents. You're not actually teaching them the questions that they need to be asking. And it's not their fault then. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they but don't then know. But you and I both from experience have learned kind of the hard way that even with agents that we know know their stuff, you will see them make the wrong decision. True. I mean, both you and I have gone through this in our own brokerages where you know they knew what they were doing wasn't right. Right. And you as a broker only find out on the back Back end end. when it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Like as a broker, I'm not in every single one of my agents' transactions all the time. Like I can't be. And a lot of times I don't know that the transaction is even happening until it hits our management software. Mm -hmm. And then I'll kind of see like what's going on, but I don't know what's been said between yeah, back and forth by then. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's got to be to where as a broker, you're much more selective. Mm Mm-hmm on who you're bringing in, Mm -hmm. knowing that this is going to be a problem and, you know, the way we're having discussions with consumers about what's happening in the market, you could get tied into a lawsuit so fast right Mm -hmm. now because there's so much misinformation and people can say they felt misled or, you know, whatever that I don't know how these big box brokerages avoid being in court all the time or in mediation all the time. And part of it is, is maybe they, maybe some of them are and they're just, you know, it's easy to brush that under the rug, but also it's, you know, it's the attorneys on record, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. they have attorneys that they are paying monthly, whether they use them or not. And I would just like to see their E&O payout and how many times they're having to pay out to just, quietly get things to go yeah, away to brush it under the because rug. you know that if we're both in small brokerages and we've had certain things hit the fan and had lawyers involved and different things you know these other companies are too yep you know so i would just love to see that but of course we never will no I, well it's, no we never will and i mean it, even things that's like you know things that have hit my my business that I know that I have nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Anytime someone calls you and threatens you and says that they're suing you and all of the things, like your mind just starts like whirling. Yeah. And so you're going through like every bit of interaction and everything mm-hmm. in your brain. And so, you know, there's a lot of agents that'll just go to their m- managing supervisor or their broker and they'll be like, ah, don't worry about it. I'll, you know, mm-hmm. we'll take care of it. But that's not the case. For us, because it is us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it is, it is different, you know, and those agents, some of those brokers don't even charge them the, you know, the penalty, the payout. Mm -hmm. I would, 
I would not if take I'm the hit. To pay out, yeah, and I would it's not something be taking that the hit. you did knowingly for sure. Yeah, you know, I can. I think I'm pretty fair. Like when I hear about situations of looking at the different sides and how it could have happened if you know somebody doesn't have experience or whatever. Like I will give some latitude and like, okay, sure. you messed up. We need to learn from it. It's a costly one, but if I know that you just did the wrong thing. Like you knew it and you did it anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like dealing with your kids when you know they knew that was wrong. Yeah. And they did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to like baby you and, oh, don't worry. I'll take the hit. Right. No, no. Right. I will not be taking the hit for you. Right. So I don't know. I think it's just, yeah, it's frustrating even when you know you did nothing wrong. Because you still have to lawyer up. Yep. You still have to fight it. You still have to pay that huge legal bill at the end Mm -hmm. just to show people that you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything right. And you did, you know, document and everything like you were supposed to. Yeah. But I think that's where people fail is because in absence of documentation, it's your word versus theirs. Mm -hmm. And then it just comes down to how long... Who's paying the more powerful attorney and how mm-hmm. long does the judge want to listen to it? And, mm-hmm. you know, because you can go back and forth on he said, she said all day long. But at the end of the day, the judge is going to make a ruling and it's, you know, you get what you get and you don't you don't throw a fit. Like, oh, you might throw the fit, but, but nobody cares. Nobody cares about yeah. your fit. Like, yeah. you know, you should just say, you know, some people just walk out and they say, thank you. It could have been worse. It could have been worse, you know. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just think that. Agents that rush through the process, agents that get in a situation where the market is in a different place, and so they start thinking about their pocketbooks more. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the danger zone is, and I think that's and I think that's where the danger zone is for sellers because sellers will think if I don't tell them there there's a problem, if I pretend like it's not there, you know, if I close my eyes and stand still, no one can see me. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's not the reality. And the reality is just Well, and sometimes agents can see that there's a problem that's not noted. Yeah. And we I mean, I'm not saying that we're all like structural engineers by any stretch of the word. But if we're walking and we're walking downhill in a house, mm-hmm. we know there's probably some foundation issues or yeah. you know, that door doesn't close, there's a huge gap in the corner, like yeah something's off you don't have anything noted right like we should probably get this checked before we go on the market kind right. of thing so i mean you you can't put it all on sellers yes they need to be doing it but as agents we need to be doing a better job of making sure that we're one either asking them to reassess the disclosure like hey did you notice that you've got visible cracking and you know, this, that, and the other. Hey, I heard there was a fire at this house six months ago and it's not on here. Do you want to revisit that? And if they don't and you know it, walk away. Yeah. Walk away from the deal. Yeah. Because if they're not going to be honest about that, they're not going to be honest with you about other things. Well, and they'll be the first ones to call you and say, I'm suing you over Yeah, it'll be your fault. Right. Whatever. So walk away from the deal. But I think that the time that we're going into is harder for people to have the presence of mind just to walk away or the security of knowing they have other things going on so they can walk away from a deal that they know is going to be bad news. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. I just think, I think agents and just 
do right. Be a good human. Like it, what mm-hmm. it comes down to is at the end of the day, if you have to ask yourself, am I right or am I wrong? Mm-hmm. You're probably in the wrong. Like mm-hmm. do the right thing. Or it's going to be very easy for somebody else to think that you were in the wrong. Even yeah. if it's not technically wrong. Just do if, the right thing. Yeah. Be a good human being. Like. Mm-hmm. Think of it as if it was one of your loved ones. If you are selling the house or having them buy the house and there is something wrong with it, mm-hmm. would you want your loved one, would you not be pissed if your loved one walked into that house and something was wrong with it? It's like, just put the shoe, right. be a human, mm-hmm. go back to having humanity and put your shoe on the other foot. And I'm not saying that we need to like give to every buyer's whim. I think so. people are just so disconnected now from people and you know it's like almost polar opposites now in society either people are very empathetic to humanity or they've yeah. just lost, lost it, it all and it's like dog eat dog survival mode because i don't think that there is true humanity anymore i really think yeah. that i think that people try and do humanitarian works but i think so much of what it actually took just to like help your neighbor and help mm-hmm. and be a helpful person it doesn't mean that you have to go out and, you know, fund feeding the homeless or something. But Mm -hmm. it's just generally the small acts of kindness, opening the door for an elderly person, Mm -hmm. leaving the store or offering. For anybody that's walking in right behind you. That is one of my biggest freaking pet peeves is like, I hate that. And I know that some of it is like a cultural thing. Like in the South, we just do that. We open a door and then generally you walk through and you say, thank you. Yeah. You know, like. I don't know if that grinds your gears like it does mine, but when like you hold a door for somebody and they rush through and then act like you're a nuisance to them, I just want to slam it. Like, but I don't. Well, and just say, have the day you deserve. Yeah. Well, and there was somebody that I, you know, and this is what this is, you know, this is like a mom thing that annoys me, but I was carrying Everett. I was picking, I had to pick him up and I was carrying him down the stairs. It was a very narrow path. And this, this, individual was walking just chose saw me mm-hmm. saw me struggling i had a basket of stuff in one hand i'm holding a three-year-old that is like 36 pounds and carrying him down on a very narrow walkway so i can't hold on to a railing mm-hmm. we all know i'm not graceful i knocked over like eight things walking back in here mm-hmm. and she just walked right up the stairs and she just looked at me like didn't say excuse me just looked at me like are you gonna move and i was like hello like yeah would you like to offer a helping hand or maybe you step off to – or maybe just don't come up the stairs? Like, right. It's if not a two-person stairway. see me lumbering down. Yeah. Like, like, unless you want me to take you out like a pin at a bowling alley, yeah. like, you might want to move. It's just just common courtesy. And I just yeah, – it's, it's lost. It's yeah. completely lost. And I think those small actions make it so people feel like there's a loss in humanity. And I mm-hmm. feel like – People feel like they do big things to get attention. And then there's the people who feel like so jaded by everything in the world right now mm-hmm. that they just feel like there's no point in giving a, two craps about anybody. Yeah. And I think that it's that's an awful place for us to be. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was part of the reason why I wanted to move away from where I'm from. I mean, when Will's like, I want to start having kids, I was like, not here. I was like, we're not having a here. Because that's all. It's a dog-eat-dog world where I'm from. Like, I don't – I didn't want to raise my – I didn't want to raise them sheltered, but I didn't want to raise them in a place where it didn't matter 
that you were a person, you didn't know the right like dignitary person. You weren't connected mm-hmm. enough. You don't have enough money. Right. You're not wearing the right right brand. last like, name. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't live in the right neighborhood. You don't go to the right school. Like I didn't want that for my kids. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, that was part of the choice to move here. Um, to move out of that area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just feel like more and more of that just seems to be bleeding into like all territories. And I think that's, it's it sad. And it makes mm-hmm. me, you know, I'm trying to raise my boys to be gentlemen. And I feel like some of that has been lost. You know, you can't even get a boy to open a door for a girl. It's just like, oh, well, girls are all supposed to be independent. It's like, but you can still be a gentleman. Yeah. Like we can still be treated like a lady. And I'm all about, you know, independent you know, feminine and all of those things. But that doesn't mean that I still can't, my husband can't open the door and I'm not feeling like less of a human because of that. That's just being a gentleman. Right. You know, I agree with that. I think that it's just ridiculous. It's all ridiculous. And like, how are you less than a person just because somebody else opened your door? Like, no, I remember my brother in, I remember my brother in like, especially in grocery store, like parking lots, like we would be loading the groceries into our car and then he would go help like elderly mm-hmm. people get their stuff and return their carts for them because that's what you do regardless mm-hmm. of your boy, girl, purple, a whale. It doesn't matter. Like that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And it, I don't care if you're male or female. No. You are absolutely like a horrible human if you don't put your cart where it goes at the grocery store. Yes. Like if you were that person that just wheels it out into a parking space, yes. I automatically have zero respect for you. Yes. I think the hard- like, Just none. I, you just lost me. Well, and I think the harder part, the only, and it's very rare now, but there are parking, and I can't say that I haven't done it, but when you have two kids, you've gotten your stuff in the car, and your, your kids are in the car, mm-hmm. and there's no cart return in the parking lot, so you want me to go all the way back into the store with my kids right. when I just loaded, but my kids are already in their car seats and then then come all the way back. Like the there's the little seats in the cart that are so convenient for keeping them corralled to a small area. Right. And not in a parking lot where nobody is paying attention and could hit my kid. Mm-hmm. So I have been known to be that person, but only when there's not a cart return. And that's not usually like the grocery store no, where it's a or huge like Target area. or Walmart. They all have them. Yeah. Which, yeah. It just, I think they should just have like parent of small children parking towards the front anyway. Yes. And like monitored because yes. I mean, it's nerve wracking when you're, because you're not paying attention. Yeah. Like when you're trying to load your car and your kids and they're wanting something that they just bought or screaming that they want out of the seat already or like just chaos in general, it's not the safest place to be for a woman. Like we're trying to do it all and it'd be like, that's why you see it all the time. Like that's where women fall victim is because that's when it happens. And I remember even me when Delaney was little, I was at an HEB in New Braunfels and I was trying to get her in the car and I had noticed a guy that was like acting creepy in the parking lot and he walked up and stood like I was putting her in her car seat and stood like in the open door. But fortunately, somebody driving by had seen the same thing. And so he started like yelling at the guy and the guy took off. But I mean, like yeah. we can't pay attention to everything and our kids yeah. So I just think that there should be like 
parking up front for that situation yeah. because it is hard. It and is then, hard. yeah, you, like you said, you're not going to walk all the way into the store. No. With your kids screaming in the car because now they're pissed off that you put them in the car. Yeah. You no, know, I, they want it out of the cart, but they didn't want it in the car because then they're back in like a trapped in environment. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, no, but I just, I think in general, I think, I think a lot of that is just like, you know, we were raised with manners. You and I mm-hmm. were raised with manners and not that we're not raising our kids with those, but I mean, we were raised with manners. We were raised with expectations mm-hmm. to respect your elders. We were raised with certain things in our, in our life. And I feel like that's fallen very short. Mm-hmm. I love that there are some schools that have, uh, you know, they have like boys clubs because I'm all again I'm all about girls having their space Mm -hmm. but what as a boy mom that I hate is that I have one or two racks at Target to shop off of Mm -hmm. and I hate that every movie and everything coming out has has a female lead which is I'm I'm good with some of it makes total sense but there should be a way that there is a and I know there is that there is male leads that teaches them about morals and how to treat people and all of the things, which is all what these movies are supposed mm-hmm. to do at the end of the day without it being demeaning to women where they've made every princess movie known to man about it being right. somehow the knight in shining armor was demeaning to the right. to the princess, which is whatever. I still Why do they all have to be princesses? I you know like, why why don't we just start there? Like maybe I, she's not a damn princess at all. Maybe she's like the farmer's daughter. I don't know. Like I don't know. I mean, I I just I think that there's a way that we could do better. So mm-hmm. I, the, my favorite stories that come out is when there's an educator at a school that makes a group of boys and teaches them, reinforces behaviors that boys should do, like don't wear your pants below your rear, mm-hmm. like wear a belt, how to tie a tie. Right. All of those things, like, I think that that is lost. It's lost among females to be ladylike. And I don't think mm-hmm. that you, everyone, ha- no one has to be in a box. But you do no, have to know but, how to, like, be civil. Well, and I think that you have to understand that by not knowing these things, you're alienating yourself from a lot of different people. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to act like a lady, I guess. But... That's fine. You're going to have to understand people aren't going to want to be around you. Certain groups of people are not going to respect or want to be around you because you choose to act like this. Yeah. You know, and like my kids, I mean, my kids, by any stretch of the imagination, are not prim and proper and, you know, perfect, especially at home. But I damn sure expect them to have manners when they're out. And it better be respect your elders and not be the snotty kids with, you know, and they know it, too, because they know I've gotten on to them, especially Delaney. Brooklyn's really good because her dad is very strict with her. But Delaney, I'll get on to her and I'm like, yes, sir. No, sir. Thank you. Like, use your manners. Get them out there. I don't expect you to call me ma'am at home. I don't like that. I don't. It's just not my thing. Um. But I expect you to have manners outside the home for sure and mm-hmm. to treat adults a certain way. And yeah. 
conduct yourself a certain way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, yeah, you can be whatever you want. If you want to be the super abrasive yelling about your fight against the patriarchy or whatever, do you. But expect whole groups to tune you out. Yeah. And I just... I just think it's so interesting, and I'm not the yes ma'am, no ma'am in the house, except mine are younger, so I'm setting that precedence. So the right. only time that he gets that is, or they get that, is when they have done something wrong. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no what? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, no ma'am, or yes ma'am, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And it, there is definitely that line, and I'll never forget it, because I remember the look on my in-laws' faces when I just, I mean, I lost it. And James had been pretty whiny. He was younger and he had been pretty whiny and he had those that we were at their property and they had the ATV things that they can drive around. And he said, hey, buddy, before you go, I need you to put that in the shop, drive it to the shop and park it. And James was like, no, I mean, no, like, no, just looked at him right in the face and said, no. And I pulled him back so fast and I said, Mm -hmm. excuse me. And he said, I don't want to. And I said, I do not care. Mm-hmm. No. Your grandfather no. asked you to do something, you do it. Mm-hmm. Period. End of story. No whining, mm-hmm. no questions. Go do. Mm-hmm. Now. Move. Mm-hmm. And they were so surprised that I pulled him back like that. And I'm like, and I apologize. I said, I am so sorry. I have no mm-hmm. idea what it got into him because he's my agreeable kid. But I was like, I I don't know what got into him. And I felt. I didn't get one of those. I, didn't I get felt an agreeable kid. I felt I felt that. Well, my my husband's very like you know he's a firstborn, so he's very like type. Well, Clint's a, agreeable. very agreeable, but I don't think I don't think we got the agreeable kid. Well, as I'm, I mean, I think that's because you your genes are very strong. They overpower they, his. Yeah, genes. they they. I mean, like I said, we're, you're in it to win it. You're never gonna like. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna take no prisoners. Yeah, I mean, he may have chosen technically the gender, but you were like. But let's be clear, mm-hmm. I am creating an army. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, what kind of army would that be? <laughs> A bunch of little ambers you know. running around. I, I think that's why I'm happy that eventually they'll be adults and on their own because I think at some point the army would turn on itself. Yeah. And we would be fighting each other a little bit too much. So yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, this army is going to have to like spread. Mm-hmm. But they're and independent enough that they'll be fine. They'll make somebody else their prisoner and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be all okay. Yeah, it'll work out. It'll. Some poor kid right now doesn't know he's he or she or whatever is going to end up with my child. You know. What's your worst um what's your worst shit show that you've ended up with this week? I know we've texted you both each other like at least on two or three occasions where we've been like, sorry, had a shit show of a day. Yeah, it just I think it's not just one big thing. It's just all the little things that like stack up and then, you know, I've had my dad in town. Who stays with us when he's in town. So that just, it always throws like life out of balance. Yeah. And then we got our fifth dog back from the dog trainer. And. Oh, you did send. Yeah. Yeah. So we got her back and she's a little bit nutty, still kind of feral. And so that has thrown the balance out of the house. And I don't know. It's just like ever since I got back from vacation, I just feel out of balance a little Mm -hmm. bit. Like I haven't really been able to like 
catch my groove. And now going into holiday season, that's a whole thing too. And then the market shifted. So it's like, yeah, just feeling very like wobbly on a lot of different fronts. So, you know, I feel like I need like a reset vacation just by myself. Yeah. Which is part of the reason I booked the conference in January. Yeah. Is just so I can go completely alone. And be by yourself. And be by myself. And like, yes, it's a work trip, but like I can just think in quiet. Yeah. You know, go back to your room at the end of the day and just be you and whatever. Order amazing Chinese food because New York City actually has it. They do have good Chinese food. Yeah. To go and eat and veg out in my hotel room. Yeah. That sounds blissful. Especially after a day at a conference. Conferences are exhausting. They are. But I do like... In a good way, but they are exhausting mentally. Yeah, mentally, because the problem with the conference is it always gets like gears going that weren't necessarily going before. And that's exhausting because then I'm like, oh, let's start five new things. Yeah. Like I have a spare 32 minutes in my day right now. So let's book it out with 84 minutes worth of activities. Right, right. And then wonder why I'm stressed out. Yeah. But will I ask for help? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, that's not in our nature. No, that no, is not in no. our nature. My love language is um, acts of service, but will I ask for your help? No. And when you give me help, will I be appreciative? Potentially also no. Although I was super appreciative. I am appreciative of certain acts of service. Like when my husband is home and I'm trying to get out the door with the two kids and he like puts their socks and shoes on. Like, yeah. Otherwise it might be like your shoes are in the car and we'll put them on when we get to school and it's fine. It's all mm-hmm. fine. The house is on fire, but we're fine. Like yeah. It's all fine. Yeah. Acts of service is definitely one of mine, as long as it's things that actually make my life easier, like you said. But if you're asking me what act of service I need you to do, like you just made my life harder. Because now not only am I having to think about what I need to get done, I'm having to verbalize it and then hope you do it right. Right. Like, so acts of service that just you see I need it and you just do it. Yeah. Perfect. Means, Means a ton. Yeah, yeah, that that is definitely I don't need words of affirmation like no, I don't. I'm not that person. No, I don't need that. If you tell me like how pretty I look today, I'm like, what do you do? Did you buy another race car? Like what what is going on here? Like I'm immediately suspicious. Yeah. And I think my kids have trained that into me because I know that something is up if they're like, mom, you look you look really nice. Or the, the new thing is I like your fit. Are you making fun of me? Are you serious? Are you like, where are we right now? Yeah. Like what? I'm really suspicious that you like my outfit considering you told me how horrible it was when I bought it. Yeah. So what changed? Yeah, exactly. So no, that's not one of my love languages. But I will say that he did speak my love language last night because I got into bed. It was like 740. And he immediately turned on an episode of 48 Hours Mystery. That's my love language. Murder (laughs) shows and sleep. Yes. Those. Yeah. The best. So I'm more of a morning person and he's more of a night owl. So like one of the best gifts he can give me at the end. And it's not that I don't like, you know, having them, having him with me, but like I like to fall asleep by myself. Mm -hmm. And it's partially because it's like my mind is winding down. And if he comes to bed at the same time that I do, like. He's not tired. So he's like mm-hmm. flopping around. He's trying to ask me yeah. questions like, how was your day? I'm like, 
I don't want to speak. That was a six o'clock question. Yeah. Not a 9.15. My brain's done. We're done with that portion of the day. Yeah. Thank you very much. Love you lots. Night-night time. Like, Yeah. Don't get me restarted thinking about my day. And so, Because if that happens, I don't go to sleep. It's one of the best gifts he can give me every single night is that I get to go to bed like by myself. And it's not that I don't like when I, you know, when I wake up in the middle of the night and I know that he's there, it's great. Like I, Mm -hmm. that, that brings me joy. Um, but I do not I do not have any sort of joy falling asleep at the same exact time because we're not ever falling asleep at the same time. Like he's always awake and I'm always exhausted. Like I'm done well, for the Well, my day. problem is I will be completely exhausted. We will go to the bed at the same time and he will say he's wide awake and keep the TV on. So I can't fall asleep with the TV on. And then he has the audacity to immediately pass out with the TV still on. (laughs) Not even the sleep timer on it. No. And he'll do this jackass thing where he'll start a movie. Well, even if I'm trying not to watch it, then you have to it's been on long enough that now I'm invested in this stupid plot. It's never a good movie. It'll be like a Will Ferrell stupid comedy. And I'll have to watch the whole damn thing. Because my brain doesn't have that shut off. We don't need to know what happened. Yeah. We do need to know what happened. Yeah. Was it entirely predictable? Absolutely. We knew what was going to happen. Right. But we had to see it through. Right. So it just, and every single time he'll fall asleep, but then he'll tell me, oh, I was, I was still awake watching it. No, no, you weren't. weren't. No, you weren't. I could tell when your breathing changed that you were passed out. (laughs) Yeah. We were done. But here we are. It's 2 a.m. And now this movie has made me rethink conversations from 15 years ago and replay them in my head. So thank you for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you. I'm with you there. That's why I watch murder shows. Yeah. There's a beginning and an end. Yep. They're an hour long. So no matter what, that's the longest I'll be up. Yeah. And then it ends. And I don't have to wonder what happened. Right. Right. I get that totally. Um, I do... I I don't know what I would do if we went to bed together at the same time every night. I think I would I think it would really really just not be good for our marriage. We might So do you have to put kids to sleep or does he? When he's home, we split. Mm-hmm. So like he'll do one and I zone do one. Zone coverage. Yeah. It's a good plan. That's zone defense. Yeah. Um but when he's not home at night, obviously, it's just me, but he'll call me. It's like clockwork. He'll call cuz he wants to say goodnight to the kids and I'm like then call at 7. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't call get him riled up now. Yeah, don't call at 8. Mm-hmm. When I've like gotten one down, I'm trying to make the other one read. I'm like N- no, like cuz they want to FaceTime. Mm-hmm. So then it's just being goofy and running around and I'm like no no no. Like mm-hmm. we've already done this. Yeah. Like yeah. please don't ruin this. And God love him, he misses out on a lot of bedtime, so I mm-hmm. get it, but we are zone we're zone defense. At See, this and point. I think I got spoiled because Brooklyn, from the time she was like 18 months old, she put herself to bed. Like she would literally come in the kitchen, get her little sippy cup and waddle off to her bed. She'd be like, deuces, I'm out yeah. and shut her door and pass out. And she'd sleep like 10 hours. Yeah, that's amazing. And then Delaney for most of the time, she even, you didn't lay with her or anything. You just kind of shut their doors and they were out so yeah. i hear all my friends and they're like yeah, i had to lay with them forever and blah 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 i'm like hmm, that's weird yeah james is more that person Everett's not like Everett's me like when he's done mm-hmm. he's done like the other the other night he was so tired i felt so bad for him he was so tired he goes i just 
want to go night night and i'm like okay dude i feel you like i'm like you are my spirit animal i get it yeah and then james he's will so he is the night owl Mm -hmm. but we also have to read at night because it's requirement for school but it's also the only like that's it's like will it's when he opens up so if he's having anxiety or having Mm -hmm. issues at school or he's worried about something that's when he's gonna tell me Mm -hmm. so it's like we read and then we do like sit there for a little bit because it might he might tell me something that's going on in mm-hmm. his day. But as he's gotten older, that's gotten like shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah. No, my my kids won't tell me what's going on in their day until they're having a full on meltdown. Like, it's about right for their age. Full though. on like, you know, Brooklyn will call me from school crying because her and her friend aren't friends anymore because they decided that at lunch because one said something to the other one and you know, life is ending. And I'm like, can we make it to the end of the day? Yeah. Like, let's make it to the end of the school day and then we'll see if the world out. is still, in fact, going to fall apart. Yeah. Cause, we'll figure it out. Yeah. It's I'm like, and I, I just want to say, I'm like, you're 14. This is going to be like every month for you until yeah. you're like 22. Yeah. Well, so, and, it's, and I just, I, rem- I remember looking back at my, and I had a few friends that I definitely remained very close with. But I do remember just being like mm-hmm. every week. It's like, no, she's my best friend. No, she's my best friend. No, this, no that. And it's just she's like, top five on my on my MySpace list. Yeah, it's like yeah, I'm yeah. like I'm like what? I'm like, yeah. and then you know my aim. I've got some sad lyric in uppercase oh, and lowercase yeah. with asterisks everywhere and whatever yeah. about my Custom one friend. background. And, yes, yeah. Yes. She changed her song at the, and I think it's about me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So true. These kids won't even know. They won't even know how dramatic yeah. we used to be. And so non now that would be considered emo to, you know. Yeah. It's like when people get on Facebook and they're like. Right. Now they just passively, aggressively Snapchat yeah. all their other mutual friends yes. and not the one person that's right. a problem. Right. Yeah. They've taken passive aggressive to new levels now. Yeah. Or, you know, the like pray for me. Like on. Oh, pray, yeah. Yeah. The blanket pray for me. Yeah. That's a Facebook old people thing, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Like vague booking i'm like that drives me nuts yeah like either say what the problem is or just don't yeah if you want prayers how about you text your or call like your closest friends be like hey i'm going through some hard times say a little prayer for me yeah like putting on the mass media for everybody to pray for you they don't even know what they're praying for you for and i can promise you 90 percent of them who says oh you're in my prayers either are not in your prayers They don't yeah. even pray. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I mean, like, I think it's one of those things that, like, people are trained to say. It sounds good. Yeah. yeah, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In this you know, moment, in this moment, you're yeah. in my thoughts. I saw that, and then you were in my thoughts just Yeah, then. you were in my thoughts as I read that. But, yeah. no, I think that something they say to make themselves feel better. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Yeah. Wow. So, are we done? We didn't really get to... Too deep into shit shows, but no, we didn't get too deep into shit shows. I mean, I think, I think shit show is just the general theme of. I mean, I think life in general, and I think Q four is a shit show. How we operate this podcast, yeah. I mean, I think it's true. I can tell you that many people love the way that we sign off of our podcast. When I randomly am like, "Hey, follow us on social media," but then we yeah. just like, and we're done. Yeah, we're done talking. I'm done talking. I need to drink all the water. I need to pee. Ah, oh, well, then we're we're truly done now. Yeah, we're done. Miss Yes, pee. Bye.